Extraordinary Being Movement, where we inspire you to take action, influence you to create change, and motivate you to achieve success. Today's show is going to be talking about a gentleman's past living in South Africa and what he grew out from that and the man he is today. But before we introduce this gentleman, first, I have a quick announcement for our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Acting Coach Business Coaching, helping your business survive and thrive in today's economy. For, if, for more information, check out actingcoach.com to find your local business coach in your area. But today's show, we have the one and only Chris Zollenfeld, who is here to talk to us about his experience in South Africa and the business that he created coming out from that to helping other local communities. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what brings you here? What, what can you share with us? Because our show is about people that, who are extraordinary. And we bring on people like yourself who are extraordinary. And we all have a story to tell. So we would love to hear your story. Well, uh, I'll question whether it's extraordinary, but <laughs> there, is, there, is a, there is a story. Um, Hey, uh, I grew up in uh, an apartheid South Africa, and I don't know if uh, your younger list listeners would know what apartheid is. Um, so let's just spend a second on that, because that was the law of the land um, at the time. Um, apart is a word. Hate is the second part of the word. And what that really means is that um, if your skin was black or brown, you had to live in a certain area, but you could come and work for me because I had a white skin. Mm. Apart hate. And um, hey, that led to a society that was, in my opinion, totally dysfunctional. And I raise my head to the sky for my, and thank you for my parents because they set the tone for me in terms of, uh, I, I became an anti-apartheid activist. Mm. And that drove me in terms of my university career. Uh, you know, uh, we get contaminated by higher education for what it's worth, by the way. Mm. And uh, uh, I set up a business as well that was very active. So um, when I uh, was at university and came out of university, I set up a training and development organization called the Contact Group. And we had as part of our mission, because of the backdrop of apartheid, never ever to accept government business. They wanted to do business with us, by the way, but uh, we wouldn't do business with them. We had assessment center technology, which example, the infamous boss Bureau of State Security wanted to buy, uh, but we wouldn't sell it to them. Um, and that strategic business decision put our business onto a certain course uh, because we started working with the ANC, African National Congress, Mandela's group. Unfortunately, I never met the man, mm. but a very big active group. In fact, the group that's in power 
today. And um, in Qatar, the, the Zulu faction, which is the other bigger grouping in the, the country, unfortunately, we could never get those two together for, for various reasons. And lastly, and more importantly, the uh, Trade Union Congress. Trade unions were banned at the time. And the mining trade union was headed by somebody called Cyril Ramaphosa. Mm. And we did a lot of work with the mine workers uh, union and Cyril Ramaphosa. By the way, Cyril Ramaphosa, people might know or not know, is present day South Africa president. So he's moved on. Oh, by the way, I sent him a congratulatory note when he was appointed president, and he never replied, but that's a different <laughs> issue. <laughs> um, and we uh, were uh, through the Center for Intergroup Studies that was attached to the uh, University of Cape Town. We landed a contract at the contact group to mm -hmm. develop the influencing negotiating skills of black community leaders throughout South Africa. And that program was sponsored by Shell International at a time where all the companies were pulling out of South Africa because of apartheid. Shell decided to stay in and uh, fund this program. And today even I will Google uh, a Shell service station to go and get gas, even if it's seven miles out of my way, because it's my way of saying thank you to Shell, because they did a magnificent job. They were bombing Shell service stations in Holland at the time because of this program, because everybody else was getting out. I remember hearing about how there was like weird terrorist attacks happening in Europe that involved South Africa. Yeah. And I thought that was so confusing. <laughs> and, and, uh, hey, uh, all these American companies, uh, there was an active movement here in the United States at the time to say, hey, get out, get out, get out. Uh, Shell remained in. And we did quite a lot of original research in this whole area of negotiating. Now, if somebody had to say to you, Len, what is the key principle of negotiate, negotiating? Uh, what comes to mind? That both, par both parties have a win-win. Yes, that, that simple concept of a win for you, a win for me, which means we're going to compromise. Yes. I realized when I went to community leaders and spoke about the win-win concept, I got these blank looks. Mm. I was dealing with a society that couldn't understand the concept of winning sure. because they'd been on the losing end all along. Wow. And uh, that realization got us to develop a model that I think is unique and I use here in the United States, uh, use it with Xerox and several other companies, uh, a negotiating continuum, a communicating continuum. Uh, um, on the left, you and I would ha could have, as a possibility, an adversarial relationship for whatever reason. And then 
little way to the right on the continuum is something that's very much rigid and positional. You going for yours and me going for my perspective. And hey, we talk, but it's very much me, you. A little bit further to the right is something that is more value added, where we start talking about us as a concept. And even further to that uh, is something that's totally collaborative. Very rare, by the way, in today's life. Just think of life here in the United States at the moment, where the assumptive is that I will always think of you of doing the right thing with regard to me. Even if I'm down and out, you would help me without even being asked. It's terribly rare. Mm. And having that continuum with regard to how one can engage negotiating uh, leaves very many positions down the left-hand side. What is your mindset? If I'm adversarial with you, my mindset is nothing other than, hey, I'm going to get you. Sure. And you're going to get me. But when you, in fact, are a little bit more positional, your mindset is, I'm in it to get the best for myself. Not really thinking about you. The value added slightly to the right, hey, how can we get something that works for both of us out of it that we both feel good and collaborative as described is rather unique. So um, how, did you, how did you figure out this uh, mindset? Uh, with difficulty. Uh, behavior that you face on the opposite side of the table is an obvious. Uh, if you don't want to talk to me, but I think, hey, maybe I should be talking to you, a journey starts because some of the other elements down the left-hand side is what is the verbal behavior? Mm -hmm. uh, what is the strategic intent behind that? How does that play out in your planning? Because we plan for negotiation mm -hmm. and how you engage the other party and so on and so forth. So if, uh, Len, you and I are in an adversary, relationship but I'm thinking well maybe we should start working together that move from adversarial to what is positional is an enormous move because behaviorally I've got to start doing some things differently the way I think about of interacting with you I've got to do some things differently. Uh, the way I uh, plan to engage strategically, when, what is the moment? There is still I'm going to get this for myself, but I need to engage you. So it's a very planned movement and it's an enormous change. Now the move from what is positional to something that is value added is equally big. Because it's no longer you, me, it's us. Mm. And just to give you the one variable, when behaviorally, if you either positional or adversarial, 
I'm telling you what's my perspective. I'm not listening to you. You better listen to me. Oh. But, but when we start talking about what is a value added position, the key transition is I start asking you questions. That's an enormous change. What do you value, Len? How can we best achieve that? You tell me what would work for you. We yeah. start talking with each other, not at each other. Right. Yes. And when you, when you put that in an American perspective, just think of what's happening here in the country. And I'm, I'm not going to get involved in a political discussion, right. but we are talking at each other. We're not listening. Right. And with the result, uh, we are very much entrenched in what is positional, what is mine, but it's leading to adversarial. It's sourced in adversarial thinking. Right. So we polarized. And it's going to take extreme leadership to involve and move and bring people along. Mandela was the ideal person, by the way. Uh, when he became president in 94, you might recall um, uh, one of the very first things he did. Um, the previous president of South Africa was a guy called, and the architect of the apartheid program was Hendrik Verwoerd. Mm -hmm. You might remember the name. And uh, he passed on and was one of the catalytic things that took place to get Mandela released from prison, 27 years, by the way. Um, he didn't have a revenge bone in his body. And you know, the first thing that he did on day one, he understood the symbolism that's involved that people need to see that is genuine. He actually took his driver with a tray of tea to go and see Hendrik Verwoerd's widow. And he arrived at the door with the tea tray. She wouldn't let him in initially. Eventually, she relented, and they sat down on the porch outside and had tea together. Now, yeah. you could imagine from an adversarial relationship, the symbolism of that action alone that people started seeing the genuine intent. Um, another thing that he did, uh, uh, rugby. Uh, <laughs> yes. Is, 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 uh, South Africa's sort of national sport, New Zealand, Australia, the United Kingdom, uh, France, are all involved in rugby. None of this padded stuff. You just have jerseys on and you, you go at each other. It's a very fast game. Um, very much a sport that was white, old-thinking South Africans. But the president would always, and by the way, New Zealand was playing South Africa the same year in South Africa. And it was traditional that the president would always go down and shake hands with both teams, you know, wish them luck, may the best team win. Mandela put on a springbok. Uh, I, I call it a jersey. Would that work, Christopher? Yes, yes, it is a jersey. Uh, 
a, a Springbok jersey and went onto the field as a Springbok to wish the teams luck. Mm. There were 100,000 people in the stadium. And these were all the sort of right-wing people. And yet they saw this president using critical symbolism to say, hey, it's time that we move. It was amazing what he achieved without shooting one bullet and without any recrimination. Uh, he started something called the Truth Commission. Mm. And let's assume, Lem, I'm black and you were a white policeman that uh, affected my family in some way in the old setup. What would happen is in the Truth Commission, um, De Desmond Tutu uh, was the head of the commission. You and I would get together and face each other. Mm. And you as a policeman would have an opportunity to say to me as an activist, this is how you affected my family. This is what you people that were activists caused. Uh, and I, as an activist, would have as an uh, equal opportunity to tell you that when my uncle was buried, you came to the funeral with a squad. And you had to listen. And you had to get the purpose of the Truth Commission is to, was to get all those feelings out so that you and I could start talking. Sure. It did a magnificent job in terms of healing. I could definitely see that because you're seeing things from different perspectives. Yes. And that was the genius of the man. I believe when it comes to real leadership, by the way, Mandela is going to go down as one of the century's biggest leaders um, in terms of he brought something that was literally heading to civil war to something that was reconciled. Mm. Just before he was let out of jail, people were rioting and all this kind of stuff. He healed a nation. An incredible job. Uh, no, I won't comment on the present situation, but uh, it's, it's, it's a marvelous example. Uh, the present Prime Minister of New Zealand, by the way, is in this mold. She is, I believe, one of the leaders of the time, modern times, uh, in terms of what she does and acts and uh, interacts with the population. And Mandela, uh, because we were in the training and development business, made us realize that when you're talking about business leadership, we have, you know, all those dimensions that business leaders are going to be good at. Mm -hmm. There's a crucial one that's a dimension that is not normally recognized. It's the ability to show empathy. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to empathize with somebody in the company in a genuine, sincere way. Uh, that shows the people around in the company that 
you understand where they're coming from. It's a crucial skill to have when you're negotiating where you could at least empathize with a position. You don't have to agree. Right. You can empathize with a position. And it's a way of moving people forward. It's a critical leadership skill, desperately needed, needed in this country. Do you believe that what's going on with, like say here in the United States, that we're lacking the emotional intelligence to have that empathy uh, with each other so what would you think would be from your point of view and your perspectives of, from your history that uh, what would be the steps that people can do to develop that emotional intelligence and that awareness? Well, uh, uh, leadership structure, and I'm not just talking about the leader, I'm talking about the various structures, uh, 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 congressional leaderships that don't just support the left or the right that are able to verbalize uh, in a very genuine way and get out into the common discourse that both sides have a perspective. Both sides have to be listened to. Both sides have to be understood because the one side is driven by sheer fear of losing the, uh, the, well, is it power, their position, whatever, uh, in the national discourse because we're being invaded by brown and black hordes. And I'm sorry, I'm putting it in stark terms, but hey, basically, they're very worried that the white privilege, the white position is being diluted. And one must be able to understand that's a very real fear. One must be able to communicate in a very genuine way so that the other side, the other fringe, needs to understand that that's one of the ways of bringing people together. One must be able to position strategically what you are doing and why you are doing it, because you want to move people. And, the, and by the way, I call it the neurotic fringe on either side. There is five to seven to 10% on the left and there's five to seven percent to 10% on the right. You're never gonna get to affect <laughs> that lot and touch that lot. Talk to and work with the 90 to 92 to 95% of people in the middle who are able on the fringes to understand, to listen, and to realize it's us, guys. Right. It's, the, it's the wealth of America, and I'm not talking money. It's the wealth of us working together that can move mountains. Sorry, I, I, uh, uh, but it's against, uh, Fred, it's against that strategic intent that you're able to verbalize, this is what I'm doing. And this is why I'm doing it. It's, people don't have a why. When you... no, no, there's no reason. And there's no painting of what we could achieve together uh, to solve healthcare. Uh, 
through police reform. Uh, uh, Black, Live, Black Lives Matter uh, initiatives. This is all got a mesh in the we. And am I making it sound simple? No. Am I saying it's going to be easy? No. Are we going to have just wins? No. We're going to have losers along the way. We're going to have people that are going to be effective. Think about the dynamic in the country at the moment. 40 million people are unemployed. That's a third of the working population. And uh, that dynamic hasn't even started to play itself out in the economy. It yeah. hasn't even started. So um, we're in for interesting times. Like real leadership is required at the top, mm. in the middle, and at the bottom. You and I have a role to play. Uh, instead of just knee-jerk reacting uh, with somebody who doesn't want to wear a mask and comes at you to gently say, hey, let's just talk about it, your tone, the reasoning why I do help me understand why it's important for you to not do that, but help me understand. Um, start a dialogue. Right. Yeah. Am I making it too simple? No, no, no. Yeah. I think simple is the simple is the the approach that we all need to to, to strive to be. Yeah. And there's definitely like, and that's the thing, like, like the behavior of. Like you see this online mostly when when somebody says something, whatever it is, a point that they make, if somebody like comments back, replies back saying, "Oh, I actually have information to say why this is happening," mm. that's something whatever you're angry about that shouldn't be happening. Actually, I have this information here that's a bit contradictory to what you're saying. The go-to is always ignore, mm. and and that to me, it's like, how are we supposed to, like? Because it, it's because it, it, the hard part is staying in the dialogue. The easy part is the dialogue. Just talk, just speak the truth, just say just say your truth and speak it out there. Don't be aggressive about it. Be respectful about it, and and create a dialogue. Because even if you don't agree with each other and you walk away from each other, that person now has an awareness about your life, <laughs> which is which is really really good because now that awareness doesn't get passed on to people that he knows. He's going to spread that on. Now, maybe it alleviates maybe 1% of the pain that that particular group puts upon me. But that's a, the least we're working towards some sort of change. Because like you said, Chris, it's, it's not going to change like that. It's, it's going to take time. In my communistic days, <laughs> uh, and yes, I certainly had some of the thinking in my distant past at university. I read Mao Tse-Tung's little red book which was totally illegal, by the way, at the time. Right, you couldn't go to jail for that. You could go to jail for that. And uh, I don't know where I got the book from, but in any case, the only thing that I remember about that little book was the preface. And it was actually very profound. Uh, it said, every journey starts with a step forward. Hmm. Somebody has to put one foot towards the next party. 
somebody has to put out a hand in the hope that it's taken to shake a hand. Uh, somebody has to start something, which is back to Christopher's point. Um, I thought it was very profound at the time, by the way. <laughs> you still have that book? That's a hard book to find. <laughs> no, I don't, to be quite honest. But hey, to a long story short, uh, let's fast forward to present day, maybe. Uh, uh, because of the work I was doing in South Africa, we had to get out of the country pretty quickly because eventually uh, somebody, so, sorry. I, I've heard this story before, but uh, please, like, I want you to, like, tell the viewers, like, like, if, if, it, if it's okay, like, who, like, reported you, which I found very interesting. Well, the, the point was, uh, and I need to be careful because he might still be alive, a key player uh, at the equivalent of the Homeland Security Department played squash. I loved playing squash. And um, uh, I believe it was a Tuesday and we had a very good squash game. And um, this was the individual that wanted to buy our assessment centers. And uh, when we were finished charring, he said, Chris, you're being picked up uh, on Thursday. Wow. And I said, ha, 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 you know, smart ass. And uh, he slammed me against the wall and he said, you're on the list for Thursday night. And people disappeared at night and went into a system. Uh, so it became real. I came home and had a discussion with my wife. And on the Thursday, we were on a plane to the United States. Uh, the five of us, with $703 in our pocket and the balance was spent on getting five tickets. Uh, and by the way, the decision to come to the United States was we tried to get five tickets to New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, Holland, and the only place where we could get five air tickets was to the United States. So the decision was made by which airline we could get five tickets on. Sounds like fate right there. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we, we landed here in the, in the US. Um, and one of the companies that I actually represented in my training company in the contact group in South Africa was DDI, Development Dimensions International in Pittsburgh. Uh, they are the owners of the assessment center technology. And Hey, I could immediately, as a contractor, start working with DDI. So we stayed at the residence inn and very quickly, obviously, Pittsburgh became our home because DDI is, in fact, headquartered there. And uh, I made a key decision never to employ people in the United States. Not <laughs> too many frightening stories. So uh, I had a network of... Uh, associates that I worked with in the training field. When we landed a major contract, I could always draw on people to help implement that contract, but got involved in training design, did a lot of work with Xerox. Uh, that model that I was telling you about, we built into 
their uh, biofocus selling program, and the research we did on influencing skills we built into their program. Uh, so, hey, set up a very successful setup here. And uh, UBS, in, uh, sorry, um, Xerox introduced me to UBS, uh, Union Bank de Suisse, the wealth management people, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, to work with the traders that eventually sank the country in 2007 and 8 with selling those bogus packages. In fact, nearly sank the world, by the way, uh, but nearly sank the United States um, to try and turn them into human beings because they were impossible people to work for. And we were relatively successful. We went in as a team and worked with them. Um, and uh, uh, two, two of the traders said, Chris, have you got some money to invest? And uh, I gave them about $2,400 at the time. And they invested that money for me and they turned $2,400 into a considerable sum of money. Mm. Was it legal? I can't answer the question. <laughs> and um, 2008 happened and it crashed. Mm. Do you think they were taking my phone call? No. So when I looked like this, the gray beard, I lost in the second time in my life, everything. So what do you do? You pick up your big boy pants and you move on and you've got to do something. And the only thing I got into, uh, could get into, which didn't cost anything, was to sell credit card processing. And I've already told Len earlier on, selling credit card processing is like trying to sell a wet Wednesday. It's not exciting. No. <laughs> and... Um, I did that quite successfully for three and a half years. And by the way, the only thing, only thing I believe got me in the door was my accent. Mm. Because by the time I got to a mom and pop or a restaurant or to speak to the owner or the, the, the manager, they'd already had two phone calls and somebody else had contacted them and I was the fourth person. And the only reason I got in the door was I kind of sounded different, I believe. Yeah. And I don't believe I'm naive when I say that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, hey, uh, I couldn't get excited about it. And I'd landed a contract to um, with a major retailer because of my retailing background uh, to help them with their, am I, do you know I need to move on? Continue, it's all good. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, and so I felt a little bit cocky. And when I went to go and talk to the company that I was working with, um, they were having a board meeting. Mm. And I found it strange that I was invited in, but they just had one item to deal with, and then the CEO could talk to me. And uh, the item was to whom that company was going to donate a considerable well over a hundred thousand dollars to a non-profit the they you know at that stage the accountants had done the calculation um what would be the amount so they'd get the right tax benefit mm -hmm. 
and uh, thousands of dollars. Um, you know how they made that decision? What's that? Uh, to donate the money to all male boy board, which is clue number one. Um, the oldest gentleman on the board that was well, well into his 60s mm. was having an affair with a young lady at a non-profit. <laughs> That's how the decision was made. Mm. And you know how at a point in time things happen and in your head you say, hey guys, this is wrong. You should make credit card processing your vehicle of donation. Well, I got kicked out and that was the end of that relationship. But that triggered me in the thinking to register credit your community, where I still sell credit card processing. Yeah. Uh, but if I get your account, let's say, mm -hmm. to do your payment processing, and I get that on merit because lower rates, lower fees, and improved bottom lines, it's not... A sympathy thing it's on merit that i get the account sure. you've saved money i obviously make some money on that account and credit your community uh, now on the money that i make the net revenue i donate 50 percent of net revenue to your non-profit of choice so if you crazy about animals you tell me to uh, give it to animal friends. I just need a routing number and a bank account or Vietnam vets or whatever. Sure. And if you happen to be a nonprofit, it would go back to your nonprofit funds. Wow, it's, it's great. So that's what I do. Uh, credit, that's what the mission is. Uh, credit, your community has a mission with people before profit. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're going to make a profit, but people before and community before the individual. Got it. And in the credit card processing field, which is terribly, terribly, can I say it again, terribly competitive in this country, including the banks, I believe I'm credit your community is totally unique. You know, Chris, you, you say something that resonated with me uh, mm. because a lot of companies, it's always profit over people. Yeah. And whereas you're looking at people first hmm. and, and that's a thing that always, when you're looking at a company and where they're going and what they're striving for, it, it's, it sounds to me that you have done, done your work as what we call like the self-development. Hmm. And it just seems like there are, there are individuals that are out there uh, and there are some people on the entrepreneurial individuals that are develop, starting to develop some of that self-development skills. Mm -hmm. So I would like to go ahead and ask you, like, if you can give them some tips on how you can go ahead and, and from based on your experience, like what can you give, what can you tell them on tips on how to develop these, these skills to be a better communicator, a uh, better listener, uh, as well as being able to be secure within yourself, to know that you're, you, that you're, you have that mindset of, of, of people over profit. Well, um, Fred, uh, can I call you Fred? Yep, yes, you should. Uh, um, <laughs> I go back to that model because it's not only a negotiating model, it's a good 
communications model. It's a good leadership model. Is that five minutes, Chris? Don't worry, not, not for you. <laughs> oh, um, and uh, I do business coaching as well. Uh, and would gladly engage with somebody. And one of the first things I would do is just talk to them. Well, first of all, a lot of questioning and finding out where they're coming from and what their thinking is and why we're having this discussion, all that good stuff. Um, so that I can get a good take on how they communicate with the marketplace. And that's part of, Fred, your value structure and your mindset. And I would then position that model with them and say, here's some options. Let's see where you presently are sitting on that. And they might be way over on the value add side on certain things and way to the left on certain others, which tend always, when somebody's asking that kind of question is, tends always to be in the behavioral interaction side. How do you engage the other party? And the way over on the right-hand side is, if they tend to be from the, the younger generation, uh, they've got a total handle on electronics and they think just because I've sent you an email, I've communicated with you and I've engaged you and all that good stuff. Almost the opposite effect is what's playing out today. How many emails don't you just delete, 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 having looked at the subject line? So the question becomes, how do you actually engage the individual? And interestingly enough, by the way, Fred, I'm almost detecting that there's a movement back to the left to do some of the basic things that we did when we weren't so electronically engaged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I would write somebody, write, by the way, a thank you note and mail it to them for something that they've done. That I would call up people, leave a message and get a call back, let's say, and engage and talk with them, asking them questions. How are you handling COVID at the moment? How has it affected your business? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. nice. How can I? So doing some of the things that we all used to do when we were being effective before. So I see a movement back to that. Obviously not letting go of the electronic wallpaper. You still have to do that. But think about where you can build into that communication uh, what I call touch. There's a, there's a premise. The higher you go up the technical scale, technology scale, there's a need for an equal need to go up on what is touch. How do you touch people electronically? Because the need for touch is as important today as it was years ago. You've got to develop that relationship. And just because I sent you an email doesn't mean you're going to trust me. Uh-uh. doesn't work that way. Sure. Does that make sense? It totally does. Right. That's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we uh, I hear in network groups so often, oh, let's have a one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. so that we can develop trust. 
Ah, ah. You'll have a one-on-one, -on -one, and that's the first step in the journey to establishing a relationship. You won't give me business just because we've had one discussion. Period. That's right. Uh, we've really opening the door. Sorry. Sorry. I said a one-on-one -on -one is just opening the doors to further that relationship with somebody. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And by the way, my body language at the moment, agreeing with you, my head was saying no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was just to emphasize that I totally agree with you, that that's just the opening of the door and the beginning of that relationship sure. journey and developing trust, mm -hmm. which is a word that we throw out so often nowadays, and it's totally meaningless. Got it. Hey, Chris, we're, we're coming to an end of our show here. Uh, you shared so much with us today. If somebody wants to get in touch with you for your business, how can they go about doing that? Well, my email address is chris, C-H-R-I-S, at credit your community all one word credit your community.org o-r-g is the email address and my mobile number which i use for business is 412 412-996-6578 Great. And then you also have a website, correct? Yes. Credit Your Community. Say that one more time. Credit Your Community. Is that a .com or a .org? Uh, it's a .org. And okay. it, uh, it's a registered LLC and all that good stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we want to thank you for being on our show today. You have really shown us something more for us to given us something more to learn from, especially with your experiences and the hardship you've gone to to the man you are today. So thank you for being on our show. You have really become an extraordinary being over your lifetime. So thank you once again. And I, I, I need to say something. Yes, please. Uh, lifetime seems to think that it's coming to an end. Hey. No, no. It's, it's only beginning, but let me say something else. Uh, we started a journey. Sure. So one of the questions I, I'd like Fred and you and Christopher to think about is, how can I help you in what you guys have as your mission and what you want to do? And hopefully at some stage we will socially distance and I happen to like wine. You might just drink water with lemon in it. Um, we will get together and uh, we can discuss how we can help each other. Oh, we will love that. We just opened the door. So part of good management is to say to all you three, who's going to take the onus to make that happen? That would be me. Okay. I'm happy to do that with you, Christopher. Uh, and hey, I would thoroughly enjoy a session just to meet oh. you guys, share a glass of whatever turns you on, and uh, <laughs> let's let's see how we can help each other. Agreed. That sounds fantastic. We'll, we'll definitely get together and do that. We'll set up a time we, after the show. We've got to move this forward. Otherwise, it's just another chat show. 
Of mm -hmm. course, we believe in taking action in everything that we yeah. talk about and that we do. Yeah. Especially being on this journey. And I need to thank the three of you and whoever's twiddling the recording and all that good stuff for okay. doing this in the first place. So uh, let's go ahead and do a, a quick outro and we'll end the recording and we'll edit it accordingly and then we'll uh, we'll talk, right? So just go ahead and do your quick outro. Len, okay. is it real quick? Go. Good. Well, everybody, thank you for being part of the Extraordinary Being Movement where we inspire, influence, and motivate. Please make sure that you check us out at theextraordinarybeingmovement.com. We also have our ongoing radio station at ebmradiolive.com where we have people on there from all walks of life talking about building a real estate enterprise to autoimmune disease, writing a book, life transformation, better communication, and building a healthy relationship. You can also check us out on YouTube at ebmtvlive.com for all of our past shows and so much more. We want to thank you for being with us and have a great day. From Martinez, any final words? You guys have a blessed and awesome day. Love ya. Christopher Shiver. Everyone be safe and seek to understand first. <laughs> Perfect. Chris, thank you for being our guest. We plan to talk to you more. Thank you and have a great day. Okay, stop recording.